The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Conscious Evolution Radio with your host, Ann Gelsheimer. We are entering higher levels of consciousness with both old and new spiritual technologies to help us be the people we've always dreamed of being. We can make the choice to evolve in consciousness and become the change the world needs today. Now, here is Ann Gelsheimer. Welcome to Conscious Evolution Radio. I'm your host, Ann Gelsheimer, and this is going to be an exciting and paradigm-shifting interview. My guest tonight is Paula Leopizzi-Harris, and she is perhaps the most respected and trusted investigative journalist in the field of extraterrestrial-related phenomena in the world today. She's also a widely published freelance writer, especially in Europe. She studied extraterrestrial-related phenomena since 1979 and is on personal terms with many of the leading researchers in the field. From 1980 to 1986, she assisted Dr. J. Allen Allen Hynek with his UFO investigations and has interviewed many top military witnesses concerning their involvement in the government truth embargo. In 1997, Paula interviewed Colonel Philip Corso in Roswell, New Mexico, and became a personal friend and confidant of Colonel Corso. She also wrote the preface for the Italian edition of his book, The Day After Roswell. Paula wrote Connecting the Dots, Making Sense of the UFO Phenomena, as well as four other books, all historical interviews with important whistleblowers. Paula brings an international perspective to the ongoing discussion of the reality of extraterrestrial visitation, as she has interviewed so many of the major witnesses and experts from many different countries. I heard Paula speak at the Conscious Life Expo in L.A. earlier this year, and I was fascinated with the content that she shared, including her own encounter with an extraterrestrial being. So, Paula, welcome to Conscious Evolution Radio, and thank you so much for taking the time to be here. Well, it's wonderful, and thank you so much for inviting me. So, Paula, let's just jump into the big picture, because you have that unique perspective, having interviewed people all over the world. What is your perspective on how the phenomena related to ET visitation is viewed in countries other than in the USA? Well, I think that, first of all, we have to look at the USA uh, as being very young country. So when we start talking about ETs, it starts back uh, to Roswell for everybody. They think, oh, Roswell is where it all started. But if you live in other countries, India, Europe, uh, even Africa, and so forth, then you look at the ancient alien situation, which, you know, that show is just so popular because what they're doing in a funny kind of way is connecting dots for the fact that 
uh, extraterrestrial visitations always happened. I mean, it's not something since Roswell. And I remember when I was really young reading Chariot of the Gods uh, by Eric Van Dunnigan and saying, well, yeah, I'm, I'm looking at this and this makes perfect sense. And, and since then I've met Eric Van Dunnigan. He's He's a good friend, and he's, he, you know, he's the one that kind of started it all. But those countries are old, so it's not, you know, it's not unusual for them right. to look at the fact that it, it's normal. I mean, it's okay. And Latin America is the best as far as acceptance of the ET phenomenon. It's uh, very prevalent, so for them it's like every day. And as far as the difference in the way it's presented, I think it's a difference of day and night. And, I, you know, I lived in Italy from 1992 to 2007, and when I was doing, you know, lectures in Switzerland and France and Italy, uh, in the big conference in Barcelona, Spain, that had 1,200 people, there was no little gray alien statues, T-shirts, people wearing tinfoil hats, any, you know, any right. uh, uh, sculpture, any of the silliness that I call the Disneyland around the phenomenon that really keeps it in that realm. I mean, the one in Barcelona, I think, is a good one to talk about because I was at, at Barcelona in 2009. It was called Time for Truth, and there was Robert Dean and Michael Sala, Brian O'Leary, Stephen Greer, uh, mm-hmm. Steve Bassett, and of course I was the only woman. And what what the story was was that that room was filled with professors, astronomers, scientists, intellectuals, and they they would have never walked into that room if they had seen a, you know Disneyland kind of silliness around you know having your picture taken next to some gray statue. So the reason why I'm saying this is that it's more of an intellectual, philosophical, and it's more of a social studies kind of situation in Europe. It's like the way I want it, because I'm basically a teacher. I have a master's degree in education, and I want it to be serious. I don't want to play around. I think it's one of the most serious questions uh, you know, on the planet, besides being a matter of national security, I mean, it's it's something that we we do not, uh, you know, take seriously. If you look at even like the Roswell Festival once a year, people painting their faces and all these, you know, this this festivaly kind of thing. I think I would love to see it, and this is my desire as a college course taught seriously with all the first-hand witnesses, uh, and you mentioned my books, and, and they are all word-for-word interviews from these first-hand witnesses, astronauts, scientists, military people, and so forth. So is there a difference? Yeah, there's a big difference. It's, it's more of a, uh, of a discussion and a, a dialogue in Europe. It's more of a party here. And that's probably deliberate, I've heard, isn't it? That's sort of the disinformation uh, at at its best, trying to ridicule and and trivialize it. I think we do it, though, Anne, because... Yeah, um, we participate. No, I know, because, I mean, people have a choice whether they're putting on a conference not to shove a gray alien face on the poster. I mean, you know, the thing is that the, the, uh, the abduction scenario... And the gray alien is not only the stereotype, but it is the mascot for ufology in the United States. That's why you won't find that ever in Laughlin. I mean, you know, basically the Laughlin conference 
is technology, and, and, and this includes ESP technology, quantum uh, physics technology, an app for ESP, uh, all, and it's, you know, historical, oh. and that we have Nick Pope, who's going to talk about Rendlesham, and it's, it's you know, consciousness. And, and uh, I, you know, I think we're way above, way, way, way above the data gathering, even though that is so important. We have Jan Harzen who will talk about data gathering and MUFON, and we're but we're above that. We're we're not above it. We're beyond it. We're beyond mm-hmm. that. We're looking at not just the craft what propels them, uh, but or the sightings. We're looking at who's driving them and who's inside and why they came, and how long they've been here, and all those incredible psychological questions. So I, that's where my mind is at. That's where my focus is. And, and you said you attended my conference, and I yes. had to go back to the future, back to the giant rock days to figure out how ufology, or how the messages of ufology really started. So tell us about, I was going to ask you about that, about the Space Brothers and Val Thor. That was a big part of your talk, and it was fascinating. Well, you know, I most of my work is military. Colonel Corso, working with Heineck, interviewing the, the former defense minister. But you know, when I started looking at South America, Latin America, and I began talking to the contactees, and I started with Sixto Paz Wells, who has uh, physical contact with human type aliens, human beings that walk off a ship, and he's mm-hmm. had it for many years, this contact, and brought journalists with him, and many, many people with him, and uh, uh, Luis Mustacio, who's going to be with us in Laughlin, and Ricardo Gonzalez, and other uh, Latin contactees, I realized that there must be something going on that's very strange, because here are these these contactees in Latin America not being abducted, what they're being is contacted, and I'm looking at the kind of being uh, that contacts them are people, you know, people, people. So I'm right. going, okay, so why why don't we have that? You know, why don't we talk about it? And then I had to go back to the uh, 1950s after the atomic bomb was uh, dropped, and we got uh, messages from Orthon, uh, through Adamski, you know, telling mm-hmm. us that we need to watch the nuclear situation, that we had come across a, um, a timeline where we could be destroyed and that we could just as well develop, develop a, an economy, because, you know, this whole planet is based on economy, uh, do, going among the stars and exploring space, we could we could have spin-offs and have an incredible economy with a space age economy or we could go into the war economy and if you go into the war economy and uh you know we have the cold war then then you build up all these uh all this money around arms and so forth and and that would cause a problem for the planet because we'd have to create the wars and so that was the message Orthon gave Adamski. And then uh, George Van Tassel had had a, a human-type alien walk over to him at Giant Rock, which is near Joshua Tree. He also got that kind of message. But he, he and Howard Menger, Howard Menger is from Highbridge, New Jersey, and everybody should read the book From Outer Space to You because 
both Howard Manger and Van Tassel got um, advice from the beings that look exactly like us about how we could live longer. And in Howard Manger's case, if they, you read the book from Outer Space 2, the last 30 pages are what we should be eating and to keep our blood alkaline, which if your blood is acid, it causes cancer and mm-hmm. all kinds of other uh, diseases, and you die early. And you know, the beings wanted to tell Howard, look, you know, we live much longer than you. And if you watch what you're doing, uh, we can help you. Uh, and uh, in, in uh, Van Tassel's case, they said we can rejuvenate your cells. And they gave him plans to build the Integratron, uh, which is outside of Landers, California, just near Joshua Tree there. And they said to him, well, you build this thing, and it will regenerate your cells, plus it's a time machine. So, you know, he worked on that, and I was shocked when I went to read all these books, interview the people that are still surviving. I was shocked to find out that Howard Hughes actually financed part of the Integratron. Now, oh, Howard interesting. Hughes is a millionaire, yeah, and, and I, I think that in those days people were plugged in to the human alien scenario, they wanted, you know, news from the Space Brothers. But as of 1960, um, it, with the Betty in the 60s with Betty and Barney Hill, and the gray alien became the dominating force, and abductions became the dominating force in in the study of extraterrestrials, and it hasn't stopped. Uh, even though I've got to tell everybody that I was very close to John Mack, he came to my apartment in Rome. We, one of his last speeches was in Florence, and he told me he believed that the uh, the abduction scenario had finished in 1994, that whatever genetic material was being collected didn't need to be collected forever, that it was a, a small period uh, of time that it seemed that it was going on, and that people were being directly downloaded. He told me that personally in 1994, and I thought, well, then why in the world are we running entire things around abductions and everybody's scared to death and nobody realizes that our history is basically um, involved around, you know, people like us. And so I had to go to South America, and that's why I am studying Latin American contact right now. Oh, that's brilliant. And could you just back up just a little? You said that people are being downloaded. What did John Mack mean by that? Oh, they're getting ideas. They're getting inspiration. Mm-hmm. In other words, you've got to understand that the only way that uh, human-type aliens or beings from other planets, and in the case of Ricardo Gonzalez, uh, Antarel is from Apu, in the, in the, um, the Apunians have been in Latin America for a while giving advice, and they are from the Alpha Centauri system, that, that, that basically what happens is that if you meditate, and that's how Cisco Paz Wells began, began as contact with meditation, mm-hmm. with transcendental meditation, if you meditate that you allow for the space in your mind to be contacted by ETs if you wish that. And so what happens is that if you le- allow for the space in your mind to be space, in other words, if you're meditating, they can talk to you. And a lot of, I think, really brilliant scientists, a lot of brilliant doctors, a lot of brilliant discoveries have come via that because if they can't, like, walk around among you, they're going to try to help us anyway in some way, and it will come through a master, a doctor, someone that allows for the meditative state and allows for the information to come through. 
Okay, that's brilliant. I thought that's what you meant, but I just wanted to make sure I understood that. So I, I want to uh, switch gears a little bit because you're one of the few people I know of who, who knew Philip Corso, Colonel Philip Corso. And I just wondered if you would give us your impressions of the man. This is so historic and his message. And if you saw a shift, um, as, you know, as he approached, he, he's passed, of course, now, but as he approached the end of his life, did you see a shift in his message? Well, you know, when I started working, I started working with Alan Hynek, and it was all nuts and bolts and data gathering and all kinds of stuff. And I always wondered, you know, later on, why uh, the secret was secret. And I thought, well, they're afraid of the aliens, or they don't want us to know, or it'll affect religion. Or and I, What I didn't realize until I met Colonel Philip Corsa was it, it will affect economy. I mean, it will cause the whole entire uh, collapse of an economy, economy that's based on oil and gas, right. fossil fuels. And, and that, that is not cool for the, the powers that be. I call them the micromanagers. I don't use the word government because Colonel Corso told me not to. He says the government chases all the time, so who in the world are you talking about? So I, the micromanagers of the secret didn't want it out that when we had these crashes and we had more than one, not only Roswell, that they didn't throw away the materials. I mean, why would they? They they took the craft, they took the bodies, and they took everything that was inside. And if we started back in 1945, which we did, because I'm studying a 45 crash, then in 70 years you're going to learn how that stuff works, and you're going to use that stuff. But if you're going to learn how the craft works, then we got problems because the craft is not using gas and oil. So we got a propulsion system, and we've got uh, a uh, an energy system, whether it be zero gravity, free energy, whatever, that cannot be released to the general public, even though it should be, because it will save this planet. Uh, but uh, it can't be. Otherwise, it completely, um, you know, destabilizes a monetary system, a monetary economy. But, Anne, let me tell you something, though, because in, and I think it was 2012 when Saudi Arabia invited Stanton Friedman, Mishu Kaku, Jacques Vallée, and Nick Pope to their economic conference, they got a clue about what's going on. And they, and, and those guys, which are mostly interested in UFOs, are invited to an economic conference by the Saudi Arabians. I'm looking at somebody is looking at the future because right. we can't be using fossil fuel hundreds of years from now. And these technologies that probably have already been developed are on the back burner. I think the big question is how to make people pay for them. And to go and go to Colonel Corso when I met him, and it was all by coincidence, he basically told me that um, that he had been working on these technologies as of 1960. He got the night screening devices by the lens that the being had. You know, he, those big black eyes are not black eyes. Some of them are lenses you can peel off. And he had fiber optics. He had um, a laser. He said the pen-type laser that could not only cut but could suture, could, you know, stitch up. He had the microchip. He, he talked about other things that he had that were given to him by General Trudeau uh, uh, to, to give to industry, which really makes it hard because if industry is making money off of this, they're, they're about, not about to, to work into disclosure. 
I mean, they're not about to come forth. But anyway, I understood from Colonel Corso that, and he's just Army, he's just Army, that he was involved with this because to enhance the competitive edge of the Army, especially in getting contracts. In his later life, he basically knew we couldn't go on the way we went on, so he said he was telling the truth for his three grandsons, and he wrote in my book as a dedication to a new world if we can take it, and uh, you know that we need to switch over this paradigm that you're talking about, that we need to switch over, and it, uh, we have to start with changing our world view. And is it true that line, to a new world if we can take it, came is it something that he heard from an ET in an encounter? Did he talk to you? Yeah, about that? yeah well, you know, he was down, and I just went there personally because I wanted to go and see where he was. He was out of a missile battalion near White Sands. Uh, it's a little bit near, it's near White Sands, it's near Holloman Air Force Base, and he was, uh, you know, the head of that missile battalion for a long time, and he, he said that there was a anomalous, anomalous things going on, like <laughs> missiles that would disappear and so forth and so on. And he said one time, he said he was told to shut his radars down during certain times of the day, and, and uh, he didn't adhere to that rule one time. And so he was flying over the area and saw a craft on the ground. And when he got there, he went by himself. He, you know, the plane landed, he went in a car, he went over to the spot. And he said when he saw the craft... Uh, out of a cave came a being who said, please shut your radars down because I need to leave and the radar interferes with the navigation system. That's why a lot of these crashes happened in New Mexico. And Colonel Corsa just turned around to him and said, what's in it for me? You know, why should I do that? And the being mentally said to him, a new world, if you can take it. So So Colonel Corsa, when he met me, those were the first words he wrote on a napkin and I didn't I thought he was crazy. I, I, I said, what are you talking about? You know, I don't want this interview. Don't give me an interview like this. <laughs> I, want, I want an interview that has to do with what you did at the Pentagon and the back engineering and the book. Wow. I mean, when, when you come to contact, it gets so tricky. But Colonel Corsa throughout his life said, Paula, you know, you've got to work in this area of changing the paradigm. Yes. It's a new world if we could all switch over. So, Paula, we're going to take a break right there, Uh, but when we come back, I want to talk about uh, your contact also with uh, Monsignor Balducci, because that's very historical. So, this is Ann Gelsheimer uh, on Conscious Evolution Radio, and we will be right back. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Ask Theo Live, channels to a new reality. Following her near-death experience, world-renowned author and spiritual medium Sheila Gillette became the direct voice channel for Theo, a consortium of 12 archangels. Through this unique channel, Sheila and co-host Marcus Gillette present you with an opportunity to speak directly with Theo live on air on any topic you wish to discuss, including receiving authentic messages from deceased loved ones and angelic guides. Get the answer you need by tuning in to Ask Theo Live, channels to a new reality, Tuesday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. 
We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are tuned in to Conscious Evolution Radio, and we love to hear from you. Please send any questions or comments about the show via email to Conscious Evolution Radio at gmail.com. Again, that's Conscious Evolution Radio at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's program. And welcome back to Conscious Evolution Radio. This is Ann Gelsheimer, and my wonderful guest today is Paula Harris. We were just talking about her knowledge and interview uh, with um, Philip Corso, Colonel Philip Corso, which is fascinating, absolutely true, very important historical event. Now, I'd love to ask you, Paula, about your, um, I know you were the interpreter for an interview with Monsignor Balducci from the Vatican. Would you tell us about that and what kind of a person he was and why that was important? Well, actually, when I lived in Rome... Uh, he lived up the street from me. I lived near the Vatican. And what happened was that we would meet often uh, for dinner, and we also lectured together in places. And, uh, you know, he, I would, everybody, th- this subject is so wild that everybody needs to put it in the box. And one of the boxes that is mistaken, and I will go public and say this, is in the demon box. You know, I've, you know, I, uh, it's not, they are not demons. They are not, uh, you know, uh, coming from the devil and so forth. And so he was a demonologist. So I could go up and ask him, I'd say, Monsignor Baldicci, you really studied this and you studied parapsychology. Do you think that the UFO phenomenon is connected with demonology? And he said, oh, no, Paula. He said, the devil doesn't need UFOs. He said, basically, he said, uh, he said, look, he said, I truly believe that God created people on other planets, and the only difference is that they're able to get here and we're not able to go anywhere. Well, that's logic, uh, you know. Absolutely. They're able to get here because they, they don't, they're not fighting wars, they're not, uh, you know, worried about money, they're, they've already developed a technology that allows them to travel among the stars, and he said, and, and then he would add, and I think that's the, the, you saw the the interpretation that, that we I did for him at the X conference because I brought him to Washington D.C. Mm-hmm. for Steve Bassett, and then he added. He said, "Well, you know," he said, "since these people have uh, surpassed their civilization, all their problems." He says, we're probably the bottom of the barrel because we know what's evil and we do it anyway. He said, we know what's good. We know it's evil. We've got the message from, from Jesus. We've got the message from the church and so forth. But we do it anyway. We do whatever is not good anyway. We do not adhere to, like, the golden rule and, and the social consciousness that Jesus had when he said, I mean, his rules were simple, you know, love your brother as yourself and love God first. And, and Monsignor Balducci said, well, if everybody did that, we'd have no problems on this planet. And obviously these people are much more evolved. And he thought of them as people. I mean, right. he talked about them as people, which for me was, such a difference because I think I was semi-brainwashed into the abduction situation where, you know, everything and every, the, everything is the extraterrestrial biological entity, which Colonel Corso said, by the way, was a clone created to fly the craft 
or to do a job. But he, he said to me, and I'll add this, Anne, he mm-hmm. said we weren't worried about the, ET, the EB, the extraterrestrial biological entities as, in the Pentagon. We were about people that created them because they could be walking among us. That's, that was the ah, word fascinating. Yeah, so very human-like. Yeah, well, it's logical. I mean, we're going to create clones soon in our civilization. We're already starting with animals. I mean, you know, so is that who the real human is? Is the clone we create? You know, it's, and so the thing is that Colonel Corso is basically saying that our civil, I mean, with Monsignor Balducci, by the way, both of them were looking at it very clearly. We're the ones we should be afraid of. We're the ones. We, we're the ones that can't change the world view. We, we, have, we put it in a box where we demonize the whole entire phenomenon. Okay, so that, that's kind of a nice um, entryway into my next question, which was really about your interview with Helen Luttrell, who wrote the book uh, Rachel's Eyes, and she described having an encounter with an E.T. A human hybrid. I'm just wondering what your impressions was of, you know, speaking to her, because she hadn't, I don't think she'd allowed anybody else to speak with her before. Well, have you read the book? Because very few yes, people yes. ask me about that question. Did you read the book? I have been reading it this week, yes. <laughs> well, you know, it's so cool, because you know, if, if people really do their homework, you know, they should be reading books, and that's one of them they should read. The other one is Timothy Good. Uh, Earth and Alien Enterprise, and, and and Howard Mangers from Outer Space to you. But since I am a teacher, I'm ex-teacher, I have 300 books, and I've read every one of my colleagues' books. I mean, isn't that logical? If you're studying anthropology, you're going to read anthropology books. You're going to read everybody's. You just don't go around and talk about yourself. So I, when I read that, when I read the book, my first thought was, i got to talk to her. i, I got to see if this is real. And for the people that haven't read Rachel's Eyes, Helen had worked on uh, with military, and uh, and she had a blind daughter who went to a. Uh, she doesn't want me to say which college in in uh, in Northern California, because uh, now I have the documents of Rachel's entry into that college. So she let me have those. Oh. Uh, you know, so, and and Rachel was found evidently at a crash at Four Corners, and she was uh, a human-alien hybrid. In other words, she had gray skin and very strange uh, cat-like eyes, and, but, and she ate this very uh, homogenized uh, food that would be delivered to the dorm uh, apartment where Rachel shared with, uh, a room with Helen's daughter. Right. And the thing is that Helen's daughter was blind, so she didn't like necessarily see Rachel all the time. She heard her speak, and 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 even Helen said she had a kind of a robotic voice. And it was an experiment. And this is one of many, many, many experiments. Clifford told me, Clifford Stone told me of other experiments with aliens living among humans to see if they could do it. So this girl went to college for a year. Uh, and uh, in, in the only way that Helen even knew she was different was because she kept wearing a bandana, dark glasses, and clothes that would hide her skin. And once she almost fell down the stairs, and Helen grabbed her, and her sunglasses came down, and she saw the kind of eyes she had. She had and her and her like skin felt like different eyes. too. Yeah, that's right. She had like cat, like yeah, her pupils were like uh, you know yellow pupils and. 
She had like cat-like eyes, but she talked. She went and studied. I mean, she went to class. She took notes. She studied. She talked to everybody. And Helen even told me that she went to social engagements because her son took her to a couple of social engagements. And I thought, whoa, I'm not surprised this happened. But Helen uh, wants the world to know that there there has been some integration. And of course, I've written about the integration in the Amicizia case in Italy in, 19, uh, in 1956. And there's been integration right. in different places. And the, the difference is, and I, I, you know, people think this is science fiction, but they don't study it like you study a college class, because if they would just read the books, I, I, I'm not talking about fiction, I'm talking about the first-hand sources, people that have lived through this, like Helen Luttrell lived through this. And the Amicizia case, uh, Stefano Brescia lived through the, you know, the 50s with these people. And Howard Manger lived through this. And all these people lived through this, this situation. They would start connecting the dots and realize that this is a fascinating, fascinating um, uh, area of study. Now, based on all your conversations with other people, what do you think about the idea of a secret treaty with the Intergalactic Council um, that, that Helen talks about in the group, this, this council composed of a planet, planetary governments from several more progressive planets, and that our government has allowed the ETs to do experiments on the Earth? What, what's your sense of that? I think that, first of all, Helen didn't only read that, write that book. That, nope. that was written by, you gotta look at yeah, two people. Two people, write a that's book. right. Yeah. When, when two people, just like with Colonel Corse's book that they absolutely crucified, it was written by Bill Burns, you know, Alien Hunters. It was not, a Colonel's real manuscript is called The Dawn of a New Age, and you can get that on Open Minds TV station. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I never heard Helen talk about that, but just logically, I've talked to, uh, you know, journalists and politicians and so forth. You know, I don't believe that that the ETs need to ask permission for anything, sign any treaties. They do what they darn well please. I don't believe all of that stuff. I, I don't know where that happens, where treaties are signed. We're not on the same level, so I don't see if they want to take harvesting materials, they don't need to ask permission. I mean, they're going to take it anyway. And if they say they're going to take 10000 and they take 20000 there's nothing you can do about it. So I don't really, I don't think that's viable. I think what did happen, and this happened in South America, in Ecuador, is that representatives of these, uh, these civilizations in Ecuador, his name was Van Ju, it was 1971, he walks into the Peruvian embassy there, and, and, he, and he tells the people there that they're going to have an earthquake. And this is documented. The people are still alive. So right. just like uh, Val Thorne did up at the Pentagon talking to Eisenhower about uh, not using pharmaceuticals, but, you know, uh, trying to live longer by, by modifying our diets and so forth, and all these people that were here to help, I don't think we've listened to them. I think there's more... Uh, attempts to give advice and there are to control, you know, because we are, we're just one little planet that's way behind the times. I mean, we're primitive, as you can imagine, and I'm sure there are other planets like us out there that are primitive, and there are some planets that are more advanced. And I don't think they put all their money on this one. I don't think they. I don't think Hopefully they, not, right? 
Yeah, like, why bother? It's, it's, it's like, look at us. After 50 years, we're still worried about bombs, Iran, you know, killing each other, pedophile, uh, bankruptcy, and all this other stuff. It, we haven't progressed a lot. So I'm thinking to myself, if, they, if this is like a little tour they're doing, they, after 50 years, they come back and we're almost at the same spot. They're going, why bother? Let's go to somewhere else where they've gone a little bit farther. So, Anne, the only way, the only reason I'm telling you that is that my shift is to consciousness. Uh, that's why my conferences will be UFOs. They will be, you know, talking about contact, but I would rather work with, uh, evolution of consciousness where you, you can, you know, we can wake up a little bit and have something to talk to these people about. Now, Paula, we only have a couple minutes to break, so I just wanted to ask you for a quick comment, but we can always come back to it after break. I've been following um, the uh, disclosures by Corey Good to David Wilcox on Gaim TV regarding a secret space program, time reversal, colonies on Mars, blue avians. I'm not sure what to think, quite honestly, and I'm wondering with your connections, are you following that at all, or and do you have an opinion on any of that? But anything that I could say would just be an opinion. Uh, and yes, I am following that. And in my books, I have talked to um, people that were present when, when Eisenhower met with the ETs. And we do have a secret space program. Otherwise, Gary McKinnon would never have been prosecuted. I mean, why would he be prosecuted if he finds the names of these off-world astronauts? Of course, of course. I mean, that's logical uh, that we would do that. I think we have bases on Mars and the moon. I think, uh, I, I really believe, I, when I was in Italy, I heard that Marconi was involved in a contact with the Vatican and the Amazon in 1938. 1938, and the interview mm-hmm. I did with the other man, it was 1954. So I don't know how much time we have in this segment, but um, I think some of it is true and some of it is conjecture. Okay. Okay. Which means there's a basis for it, but you're not going to get the details, otherwise this guy wouldn't be walking around. Right, and apparently he has been threatened. It has not been an easy go. Okay, let's take a break right there. Um, This is Ann Gelsheimer on Conscious Evolution Radio, and we will be right back. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Inside Out is the voice of the inner revolution. Join host Beth Green and co-host James Maynard for a weekly program empowering humanity to change. We heal traumas getting in our way, see ourselves more clearly, overthrow stale and destructive personal and social traditions, explore a new liberating spirituality, meet guests who are challenging old ways, and join up with others who are changing themselves and our world. Listen for Inside Out. Live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Tune into the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. 
Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are tuned in to Conscious Evolution Radio, and we love to hear from you. Please send any questions or comments about the show via email to Conscious Evolution Radio at gmail.com. Again, that's Conscious Evolution Radio at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's program. Hello, this is Ann Gelsheimer, and welcome back to Conscious Evolution Radio. So we've been talking with my guest, Paula Harris, and she's been sharing some just some fascinating information uh, regarding the history and the people that she's spoken to related to the ET visitation that's been going on for such a long time. So Paula, when I was at your at the conference, um, the Conscious Life Expo in LA, you shared your own encounter with an ET being, and I wondered if you would share that here. Well, it's a long process. You know, I really wanted to interview all the Latin American contactees with Sixto Paz Wells, who who currently is even meeting with uh, with ETs in the in the desert in Peru, and you've got, to, you've got to understand that the way that happens is he gets the message. They fast for almost seven days. They camp, <clears throat> and then there's uh, the contact or encounter, and uh, a lot of the people that, that, are, that are part of that group have had encounters with People, with people. I'm going to call them space people. And so I was doing all this. I was trying to, and when I do interview, what happens is I do it on Skype with an interpreter. I do it word for word. Then I send it to Italy, to X Times Magazine, and it gets put in X Times Magazine. Well, one of the people that I interviewed was Ricardo Gonzalez. I knew nothing about him. So, um, and by the way, he's the only one that read my book in Spanish. So I was very, oh. I, I began to learn that Ricardo is a researcher also and really has the total picture, uh, cause I do have a Spanish, uh, version of Stargate to a New Reality with all interviews. So anyway, uh, I, I'm interviewing, trying to put all these guys together. I have like six of them that I've interviewed via Skype cause they speak Spanish. And um, uh, Ricardo from Altai in, in Russia, he writes me uh, last year, 2014, he says, Paula, he says, you know that my contact is Antarel. He's 10 foot tall. He's a man with long, um, blondish hair who wears kind of a, it looks like a, a gym suit with a hoodie, he says, and, and I, I actually physically meet him. And in 23 years, Ricardo's in his 40s. He's met Antarel um, eight times. But but when he write, wrote me from Russia, he said, uh, Antarel asked that you be at Shasta. He said, I'm doing a, a peace ceremony at Shasta, Mount Shasta. And he said, uh, and he asked that you come there. And uh, well, I heard that it was um, the camping and fasting and all. And I said, I, I really don't think I, I really want to come. I said, I, I have so much going on and so forth. 
I said, we can talk about it and so forth. And, of course, part of me is going, no, that, is, that can't happen. That's, that's not a you know, right. thing that's going to happen, you know. And, and so then Ricardo writes me from Malaga in Spain because he goes to about 23 countries uh, talking about peace uh, and, and, and the contact a year. So when he called me from Spain, he says, we're going to take care of everything. We're going to pick you up at the airport. We have a tent for you. Paula, I really think you should do this. So I agreed, and it was on the, the solstice, the 21st of September. So that's a very, um, a very uh, significant date. And uh, what I didn't know is that, he, you know, he travels with about seven people who are very psychic and close friends of his, and they had drawn what was going to happen. They drew the whole encounter. They drew everything on notebooks before I even got there. And I also, Antarel had said that if that encounter was going to take place, there would be a UFO sighting that was very prominent at 8.30 at night on that night. Well, I got caught up in, in just being with all these beautiful Spanish people, 165 of them, for three days outside in the sun. I was enjoying myself, but I didn't enjoy the camping part. I froze <laughs> to death in that, that tent. In fact, I, you know, I was really cold, and the next day, Ricardo would come over to the tent, and he'd say, how are you? And I'd say, I'm still alive. I'm never <laughs> doing this again. I'm never doing this again. But I did it, and the very last night, I, you know, sitting next to uh, Fernando, who had night screening stuff, and, 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 he, and it was on a screen, I could see, at 8.30, two UFOs, and it's on my website for the people that want to see it. It's W www.paulaharris.com because Ricardo has since made a video of the of UFOs flying over at 8.30, like Antarell said. <clears throat> and, of course, I didn't pay attention because I've seen UFOs with Stephen Greer. I've done CE5s. I was in the movie Serious. I was the consultant for that film, and we saw all kinds of these kinds of craft. So I, I love it. It's great. I see it. I go, wow, and so forth. But it didn't occur to me that anything was going to happen. But then what happened was that uh, Ricardo had us doing these exercises in the sand flats, all 165 of us, without the moon, you know, doing meditation, uh, you know, reciting om and ma- different mantras and so forth. And when he finished around 11, we all went back to our chairs, and I was thinking we've got to eat now because I hadn't eaten. I'm more, when are we going to eat? I was sitting there, and Ricardo comes over to me while the other people are sitting in the chairs and says, can you handle this? Paula Antarell is here. And I thought, uh, you know, there's no moon. We're not allowed to use flashlights. I have to walk into the forest. And, of course, my heart was beating right out of my chest. And he said, you won't be alone. You'll be with two other women. He said, my girlfriend and your interpreter is already there because they're standing in front of him. And you, I can't go. He said he couldn't go, that he would recite some mantras uh, and some uh, prayers behind us. And they're not prayers. They're actually vibrational mantras that the Aztecs and the Incas used to use, and, and they're amazing. And he said, but you go. He said, hold hands with the women. He said, so you won't trip. He said, and just before you get there, he said, you see that tree over there? He said, there's going to be a white mist that comes out of the ground. It's called the Zendra. And this is what Sistapaza uh, talked yes. to me about, that when there is an encounter with these human-type people, 
they create an atmosphere that's common to both of you so they can breathe and you can breathe, and breathe is called the Zendra. And okay. you need to wait, he said, until this white mist comes out and then go stand in the middle of it but let go of each other's hands. And so I waited, and when, when this stuff came out, it looked like a fog, I went with the women, and I can honestly tell you the most terrifying part of all of it was letting go of Mercedes' hand, uh, and Mercedes was standing next to me, because then I was alone, and I couldn't grab onto anybody, and and my heart was beating like crazy, and what I saw was Ricardo's girlfriend walked towards this 10-foot-tall shadow of a guy next to a tree, and she actually saw him physically, all his features, and I could hear Ricardo screaming in the back, don't touch him, don't touch him. And this man, this uh, all I can call him is a man. He was three meters high, he was 10 foot high. He was very muscular, and he, uh, he was talking. And it sounded like a radio transmission. It sounded like what I had studied was that the early contacts, the way the, the beings con- would contact them later on is through crystal radio. Like It sounded like echoes. And that's what this thing sounded like. It was, he was talking in a language which was not Spanish. <clears throat> I, I, I tried to understand. I could not understand the language. Uh, and it was a radio echoey transmission, very clear. And, uh, and uh, I, I listened and listened and listened. And in the middle of the transmission, like a robot, he said, <clears throat> Thank you in English. And I was just in shock. And so he turns around, walks into the forest, could see the change when he turned around, walked into the forest. And when it was over, and I went to Ricardo, he said, what happened? What happened? And I said, he was talking constantly. And all I, I think I'm going nuts. I said, I, I don't even know if I heard it. <laughs> I must have heard it or I wouldn't say it. I think he said, thank you. And, and, and Ricardo looked at me and he said, you've got to write about this. And I said, no, I don't want to write about anybody. I'm very upset. I said, this, this actually um, uh, upset me and turned my life upside down for three, three months. Uh, wow. I was really, because contact is shocking. It is, it, it is wonderful. It is uh, absolutely illuminating, but it isn't, it, it's, it's two cultures that collide. It's very... It's a cultural collision. I, I don't know what, and, and Ricardo said, he said, thank you to you, Paula. That's why he wanted you here. He says, don't you understand? He said, you're a journalist, and it's your obligation to do something about it and write about it. And I said, give me a month. I said, give me a month. I can't, I can't do anything right now. I just, and then finally, after a month, I wrote what's on my website, which is like three pages, and Ricardo, because there were seven people present, wrote, 13 pages of a very clinical, clinical scientific report. It's very clinical. Mine is very, well, my, my report was I said yes. And so everybody needs to say yes if they want to have contact. They can't say no. You've got to take a chance. It's a risk. To, to right. change the paradigm, to change the worldview, you must say yes. And, and so I did it, and that's why it happened. But anyway, thank you for asking me because... I don't That's... know. I haven't seen them since, but I have had, uh, you know, direction as to where they want me to work and how they want me to work. We only have a few minutes left. I'm so sad because I want to hear about that. 
But I also want to uh, give a chance to talk about your conference that's coming up. So um, maybe we'll do the conference first, because that's really going to be great information. Well, you know, uh, I, w- I had invited Ricardo to my conference, and co- he talked about it. And his last lines were the last lines that, that the Native American uses on my Facebook page. This is not about them. It's about us. This is not about UFOs, craft, or whatever. This is about our evolving to the state where we're going to have a decent conversation with these people. I mean, right now, there's nothing. Uh, the reason why South America has contact is because the only way you can have contact with these people is through the heart chakra, the heart connection. You certainly can't intellectually. <laughs> you are not at the same intellectual level, so there's not, that isn't going to happen. And the Latin American people have big, big hearts. And so I started inviting people that would talk about consciousness, for instance, people like Grant Cameron, that has switched over from presidential UFO to consciousness. So I have Adam Curry, who is in the movie Sirius. And basically, Adam is looking at consciousness, developing an app for consciousness, and working in that with Dean Radin in quantum physics to look at uh, human consciousness, human potential, and so forth. And people like Jaime Maussan, that, and we didn't cover the Roswell slides, but I will say very quickly that anybody that does any kind of research, and the mainstream journalists all, all wanted more to the story than a placard to, uh, to, to sm- dismiss away something in plain sight. You know, uh, my my interest was the Eisenhower connection. Really, I want to know why those two slides were hidden in a suitcase of somebody that was involved with President Eisenhower, uh, very involved. And so that's why I didn't think that we finished studying that. A placard does not finish that off. Uh, Plus, those two researchers are the best in the world, Tom uh, Carrion and and, uh, Don Schmidt, and they're not, and nobody even addressed them. Everybody went after Jaime. But anyway, the thing is that I really think that the the conference has interesting people. I'm bringing back Michael Lindemann, uh, who was the MC at the 50th Mm -hmm. anniversary of Roswell. He is very intelligent. Is going to talk about life after death. Which is really interesting because he used he went from UFOs there. Ralph Ring, who were, who actually created uh, a UFO and uh, used some of these advanced technologies and oh, people Paula, like. I'm so sorry. We just have a few seconds left. Okay, just, well, people can go to www.starworksusa.com and look at the bios of everybody and hope to see you in Laughlin, November 14, 15, and 16. And anybody who's interested, uh, we've got a banner ad on the, on my webpage, so you can click on it. It'll go right to the information about the conference. Thank you so much, Paula, for being on the program. I hope you'll come back because you are such a wealth of knowledge, and I so appreciate you taking the time. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for asking me, and God bless. God bless you, too. And thank you all for listening. Have a good evening. Thank you again for tuning in to Conscious Evolution Radio. Please join Ann Gelsheimer for another great show next Friday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. We hope to see you next week.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Seventh Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit SeventhWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.